0: Welcome to another episode of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. My guest today is a lifelong entrepreneur, founder and CEO of uh, two companies, uh, Voipo and ProfitLayer, and is a three-time Inc. 5000 CEO. And just to put the cherry on top, a C-suite, former C-suite member of HostGator. Uh, So I'm very pleased uh, that you've given up your time today. Uh, Timothy Dick, welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I gave you a bit of a intro there, but give us a bit more, um, Hostgate is an interesting one. When, 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 did that was Yeah.
1: So that started in, uh, I joined Hostgate in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually uh, a couple years old then. Um, you know, it had about, I think nine employees, something like that. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely a wild ride. Uh, you know, my, Uh, friend, uh, I was actually at that time, I think 19 or 20. um, And my friend that had founded the company from his dorm room, he was three years older than me. We have the same birthday, just three years apart. Wow! So he was like 23. And he, I I was doing some other things before. And he was like, Hey, uh, do you want to move? I was in upstate New York at the time. He's like, do you want to move down to Florida? I think Uh, you know, this is going pretty well. Uh, You know, do you want to come down? Because I already had uh, a pretty strong business background at that point. And he was so focused on growing the company and marketing and, you know, customer service and just growth was happening so fast. He uh, really needed someone to come in and figure out, okay, we've got to actually start doing like formal accounting be a and company. Things, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Instead of just like, like at the time, I remember one of the first days I was like, I'm like, so what, what accounting software do you use now to track stuff? Because the company was doing, uh, you know, a couple million dollars a year then and uh, growing very fast. And he's like, I just print everything and receipts and put them in this box and give them to the accountant at the end of the year. <laughs> and he said, but this year they told me that I can't do that anymore. They're going to charge me like $300 an hour to go through it.
0: (laughs) No surprise. What could possibly wrong with that method?
1: (laughs) You know, but the thing is like, he, he had an interesting point, you know, like I definitely don't recommend that, but, uh, he was in a situation where he was just so hyper-focused on growth Mm -hmm. and it was all kind of organic, you know? So he was, uh, even though the company was making a few million a year, he was, basically living like a very minimal lifestyle. I mean, he dropped out of college, so he had to move out of the dorm, you know, but he got a basic apartment, you know, and. So he lost uh, his he first act-
0: office. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, and he actually, uh, you know, he, his uh, parents, when he went to college, they had bought him like uh, a new truck and some things like that, and uh, he didn't tell them, but he he sold it and bought a cheap cheap car to, you know, Kind of fund some things, and uh, basically, you know, he when he started it, you know, it was the right choice, you know, for him because he was so hyper focused on it. And I'm like, well, how do you how do you keep up with you know everything? And he said, as far as the accounting, I don't know, but all I know is that like the bank account balance just keeps going up, and there's so much more money coming in than we're spending that I'm just not worried about it right now. And uh, he's like, you know, I just pay whatever the accounts tell me I'm supposed to pay for taxes. And, you know, I, I know there's plenty of money. And so obviously as the business started to scale, you know, we had the, that was some of the things that I did whenever I went in, I hired, uh, um, well, first we actually relocated because we were in South Florida. That's where he was. He was just born and raised there. And uh, we Just a few months after I moved down there, um, we just realized that we needed to hire a lot more people and the cost of living was a lot higher in Florida. This was kind of before the housing crash in the US. And um, we looked at a couple other cities and decided to move to Houston, Texas. Um, Mainly because of the cost of living um, and just the availability of people to hire you know, for the technical uh, support type positions and things like that. And uh, as crazy as it was, we went from our, we had like a tiny little less than 1500 square foot office, you know, like there were even like in like the, I guess you would say the executive office in it, there was uh, Brent, the founder, me, and one other person, all like desks side by side, you know? And so we went from that tiny little office and, um, went to Houston, bought a 35,000 square foot building, Jesus. you know, they had four floors and we're like, okay, three floors have, uh, are leased out, have tenants. We'll just take the fourth floor. That's still like 10 times the space we had, you know, well, it, it just seemed, I remember it was kind of like when we went there and we were looking at this, we're like, this is, you know, we'll never need this. And then of course the building was full within like, a year, you know, it was just, we had to start uh, not renewing the leases for the tenants, you know, because we just needed the space. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of, it was a fun ride. You know, there was a lot of up, ups and downs, just like anything, but it was unique in that, uh, you know, we figured to fit everything out along the way and uh, we didn't have any, I shouldn't say any, but we didn't have much like external influence in terms of, uh, we didn't have any like uh investors venture capital that anything i mean he actually owned 100 percent of the company
0: right yeah so you didn't have yeah. other, other people like now most startups are being controlled by vc or something from the mm-hmm. from the get-go it's become i think we'll probably go back into another we'll go back the other way at some point i feel like
1: oh yeah it's it's, it's already shifting right yeah i mean because like you know, his whole thing was, I mean, it was definitely not without uh, the availability of it. I mean, that one of the things that towards the uh, latter part of my time, you know, I hired like the um, the first, uh, you know, bookkeeper and and accountant in the office, an HR person to handle the hiring, uh, basically a lot of the key like operational positions and started setting up the different uh, functions, uh, you know, for departments and all of that. And, uh, you know, I've got to give him a lot of credit because he was, uh, he, you know, he was very um, focused on even as fast as we were growing, because it was like just this crazy trajectory of, I mean, just, I don't have, have the numbers in front of me, but it was something like 9 million, 32 million, 70 million, a hundred million, like the annual revenue is just going up, you know? And so we were, uh, you know, over a hundred million pretty, pretty quick within a few years. Um, I and
0: through that, you, you, cause you're, you're all young guys, right? We've yeah. some, with some experience, but how many people have got experience to run hundred million dollar revenue businesses at twenty twenty three, right?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I think a, a part of that kind of goes along with the the whole thought of you know the fact that we didn't have those external pressures because we didn't have any um investors that needed a, a return uh we didn't have any um you know any debt except uh we initially got a mortgage on the office building you know so we were we didn't have any pressures and uh you know the money money was not uh the biggest motivator, you know, I mean, there was a lot of money just being made, but there was, it was all kind of being invested back in the company in terms of like, how can we use this to, you know, create a better company, create a better product. And a lot of that was investing in uh, people, infrastructure, uh, you know, just improving the products and doing things that maybe, you know, spending a few hundred thousand dollars on uh rolling out like something new you know short term it's not going to make a difference but long term it's setting us up for more success so i think if we would have had those influences because i have exposure to that world i mean i'm actually a, an angel investor now so i'm kind of on the other side of that but you know when you have like a an investor or something like that the investors um the the thing that a lot of investors hate the most is for you to be spending their money conservatively, which is kind of interesting, but it's like most of them, uh, you know, it's kind of like spend it fast because it's either going to completely flop or it's going to skyrocket. Don't just wait around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of competitors, you know, that did, uh, you know, things differently because they were focused on more short term stuff. But I think that the fact that we didn't have those influences, um, we just kind of relied a lot on, uh, just taking a very common sense approach to everything and just looking at things from the perspective of what can we do to, uh, you know, make our service better, keep our customers happy, uh, you know, the reputation, and, you know, it's it's something that uh, it, it obviously becomes more challenging, you know, as we grew into the hundreds of employees. But, um, you know, it, it worked out. And what actually happened there um, was that, uh, you know, I was in the latter part, mainly dealing with like strategic stuff and MA and a uh, because we that was one thing we ha- had had nonstop investors and stuff wanting to buy because they're like,
0: you can Your see the pro- profit
1: right? margins are so good. <laughs> You're growing so fast. And we also, it was a really good time for web hosting as an industry too. And, uh, around
0: that time was like broadband was really kicking in at that point. Right. Cause mm-hmm. up until that point, there was a mixture of dial up and broadband and, and the experience was, had been average at best in most cases. And then the mid-2000s, yeah. it started to really take hold and become a better experience for everyone. And I know yeah. over the top, like um, YouTube and stuff coming along gave mm-hmm. another use for the, for the internet, really.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it was definitely a, uh, a time that, you know, we were kind of coming off of the dot com bubble, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot of stuff had crashed, but there was still a lot of new stuff. But you know, at that point, uh, you know, the iPhone hadn't even been released yeah. yet, you know, 3g and 4g, we didn't have either of those at the time, you know, it was just, uh, those were new, fairly new things. Um, and that's, that's actually kind of a good, uh, segue into what happened next. And that, uh, you know, at HostGator, I mean, everything was amazing, but you know, it was not my baby. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, I definitely contributed a lot to it, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the time and, you know, effort and everything, but I didn't start it, you know, so it was kind of like, um, and don't get me wrong. I, I made a lot of money from it, you know, but whenever, uh, you know,
0: it, uh, it's not what it's all about, is it, is the get you, it wasn't your day. Yeah. Right. So
1: yeah, so what happened is uh, the founder, Brett, had actually said, just, can you just go start another company? (laughs) And I am like, what? He's like, I'm not trying to like kick you out. I'm not trying to say, I don't want you involved. He's like, I actually do really want you to stay involved, but, um, I have all my eggs in one basket and especially with reinvesting in the company. He said, so why don't you go find, find something that you want to start that will be your baby. And I will basically give you a blank check in funding. I just want a minority stake in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things, you know, with that is that, uh, you know, we looked at like, as I, I was a little reluctant at first, but we looked at, you know, some of those trends and changes and we know that web hosting. One of the greatest things about web hosting, uh, you know, is the fact that it's a subscription-based business. Mm-hmm. You know, so and it's also somewhat of a utility because if you don't have web hosting, your website is not going to be online. So you have to have to keep using it. So we thought it also has yeah. the it's yeah.
0: difficult. It's, it's, it's got that switcher challenge in it because no one really wants to switch from there once you're on a home, yeah
1: no one wants to go yeah the it's kind of a hassle over, yeah yeah and you know so we looked at like okay not everyone needs a website though so you know what do we want to get into and then that led into a voice over ip phone service because uh you know i thought well you know i love subscription revenue and know that business model very well and because it is a fairly low margin business but you know, with volume, you know, it can actually be very profitable. So, um, that's the business that I started Voipo. Uh, you know, so I actually still own Voipo today. Um, I bought out his minority shares, but so I own, own it fully, but it's a uh, 14 year old, uh, voice RP phone company. Um, basically we have, uh, actually the majority of our customers are residential you know, like uh, replace their landline, Um, you know, and and it's kind of one of those things that it was such a new thing at the time. But, you know, I thought I love subscription revenue and this is gonna broaden the appeal, you know, because not only are there way more people that need phone service for, you know, their home or business, Mm -hmm. but we also had a customer base at HostGear, you know, that we could market to, you know, and that that was a, a nice push, you know, because yeah. So for a while, you know, we did some things like, uh, you know, on the HostGator side, we did, uh, you know, some bundles. Like if you bought like the highest end hosting package, you got like a free, toll free number and voicemail and things like that. So it was a separate company, but uh, you know, we, we worked together a lot. And so I was still semi-involved with HostGator. And as VoIPo was a very big project uh, because we were building out a phone network all over the country and uh, so we spent uh, a million a million and a half before we even started selling service you know just building out the infrastructure
0: a bit different know? to and, the other to the other experience of completely right. bootstrapping from scratch right and then suddenly you've got this a big investment that must be a, quite a mindset shift of, yeah uh, it, it, the human fear comes in even you know at that level yeah a lot of money
1: mm-hmm yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it was, it was definitely different, but I I was comfortable with that though, because, um, you know, we, uh, the, the only investor, you know, that was investing was Brent from HostGator. And so we already had that relationship. And I knew how he approached things in terms of looking at long term, mm-hmm. what is best and all that. So you know, I built that company and once I basically, uh, once it, you know, started needing, uh, full-time attention after a lot of the development was done and it launched, um, ended up moving out to Southern California at that point. Um, Houston, I just, it just wasn't for me. Uh, you know, it's, there's some pros and cons The taxes are low, the cost of living is low, but, but I had one of the, the considerations that I had to make was I looked at, uh, you know, it's not all about the money and yeah, you know, I, it's like California is a lot more expensive. The taxes are more expensive and everything, but the quality of life and what I, for what I wanted, you know, it was worth that move to me. Um, so I've been out here for I guess like 10 years or so. And, uh, You didn't fancy going
0: back up north to the cold winters then?
1: No, no. So actually, uh, to go way back, I was actually uh, born and raised in a very, very small town in West Virginia. Um, Mm -hmm. Rural West Virginia, uh, you know, very, very small town. Um, You know, my dad was a coal miner. He's retired now. Um, You know, my mom was a homemaker and it was like, Coal mining and uh, sawmills and things like that were like the jobs there. Mm-hmm. I mean that you know there were obviously a handful of other things, but in a very small area, you only really need like one dentist and one you know of each profession, and they just kind of have their their business that they're just the dentist that everyone has you know for. <laughs> until you know, the <laughs> so, yeah and then when they retire they either you know we either get a new one or you know they pass it on to their their uh children or whatever and you know so it so was what actually you, what
0: made you break out of that then
1: yeah it was a really interesting thing um i you know i don't fully know because i i know that from a really early age i always just felt uh like i wanted something different and more sure. Um, you know, and no one in my family was entrepreneurial, uh, so they didn't really understand that. And they were also very, um, realistic. I mean, we had a, you know, a good, uh, you know, like, I guess you would say like a good middle-class life. I mean, we had everything we needed, not a lot more than that, but, uh, you know, no one in my family had, uh, really, uh, done a lot in terms of like occupations outside of coal mining for generations and you know so it was kind of like that was just assumed to be the path Mm -hmm. but uh you know from i i don't even remember being so young and saying things like that but it was like uh my parents said that i you know i would say um you know i'm gonna move to california or new york and you know i'm gonna do all these things and it's like you know i was i guess i was seeing things on the tv at the time And they were like, "Okay, you know, you know," they said, "the
0: the crazy kid, he's gonna be down the mine." Yeah,
1: (laughs) and so, you know, what ended up happening uh, really is, um, once I got on the internet, you know, that was really the turning point uh, because I realized that, yeah, there really was a lot more out there, and the world did have a lot of other opportunities and there were ways to do it. And I was just very driven on figuring out how to make that change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I actually started my first business in middle school, just self-taught computer repair from, I would just learn things on the internet and uh, put, you know, I put like uh, an ad in the newspaper and, you know, flyers up and that led into web design. And so I was doing web design and then, uh, that was also like a,
0: the, the Dreamweaver type days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, front page Dreamweaver, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And, and it was like, you know, and locally there obviously wasn't a big demand, but that was one of the appeals to me of the internet is that you can actually, you know, sell to people anywhere. Um, you know, and so, I was in middle school, um, you know, like 13, 14, whenever I started doing that. And I was making websites for people, you know, charging thousands of dollars. And, you know, there would just be these money orders showing up and all these different things. And my parents were so confused. They're just like, what are you doing on the computer? And are these real? And this? I hope you're not doing anything illegal. And, you know, there's, it was just like a really for it foreign concept that you could do be on a computer and people would send you money for things, you know, because
0: that's the, you know, the traditional ways paid for time. Right. And so there's this sudden disconnect and, and when you're the first of the genera first generation to venture into this new world, it must be pretty alien
1: yeah and so you know there was some resistance you know from my parents a little bit you know but uh i think that it just kind of got to the point where there was so much uh money coming in it was doing well i mean i i've made i've never made less than six figures since middle school and (laughs) it's ridiculous it's been a very long time since i've made less than seven figures so it's kind of a it was a really weird transition, you know, so in middle school, uh, you know, I went from this elementary and then, uh, the first part of middle school was very quiet, shy, unpopular, awkward teen, because like, it was like really weird. Cause I was just always in, I had a business mindset and I was like, you know, reading self-help books and stuff, you know, at that age. And it was like, just all these weird things. And then, Once I uh, started, uh, you know, that started taking off, you know, I started getting a lot of publicity. I was like, you know, newspapers, newspaper cover, magazine from other parts of the state. The school was getting attention, you know, the school was getting invited to go with me to the state the state capitol you know all these different things and so the school suddenly was, the school
0: take the credit for your initiative <laughs> yeah.
1: well yeah and they were really supportive you know so they uh you know th- i did a lot of a lot of uh stuff then and just got a lot of recognition and that kind of changed from the shy awkward unpopular kid to, to the everybody wants to be your friend now because you're the local celebrity whatever um, you know, and then, so I finished high school early, um, you know, it was a small school and for me, like it was just, I was just in the mindset of like, you know, I want to get this done, finish high school because basically, uh, you know, I, I was already, it was really weird to me, um, at the time, like I would be thinking in some of the classes in high school that I didn't really care for where I was just like. I'm making plenty of money now. Do I really need to know this? You know, like, and it it was a weird dynamic, but, you know, so it was just, there was this internal motivation just to really figure out, you know, the first thing was I wanted to move and, you know, get uh, out of the area that I was in to be in like a little bit larger city. And um, I remember whenever I graduated high school early, I was 17. Um, and graduation day, I moved into my first apartment a few hours away in the more, a little bit more city-ish area of the state, but still a very small town, and I was so excited because whenever I did all of that, uh, you know, growing up, uh, we didn't have any broadband availability there. They didn't have it yet. It was dial-up. I did have my own phone line for my dial-up, and all that but you know I got my first apartment and it's like I can get DSL or cable <laughs> like this is crazy you know and uh, but basically the the short version of really the bridge was that uh, website building obviously I looked at that and then I realized okay there's web hosting you know and these people it doesn't and web hosting I'm like you know I started out with a reseller account and then uh, you know upgraded my own servers and I just loved that recurring aspect, you know, where, you know, you could sell the service and, you know, they would just pay every month. So, so that led into that. And that's how I got into the web hosting industry. And when I moved to upstate New York, I had uh, just started. Um, I basically merged my company at the time into a little bit larger one and uh, became the uh, VP of operations for, uh, another web hosting company that was a few years older in upstate New York and then moved on from there a few years later to HostGator and now, you know, that brings us through all the, you know, the HostGator days and, and then California with Voipo. Voipo right now is 14, 14 years old. Um, you know, and we're, we're, uh, we're not massive, you know, but we, we have about 100,000 customers so you know it's a pretty decent base Mm. all over the us and canada um and uh we're really uh it's kind of a slow and steady business uh so for a few years
0: yeah how have you seen that market evolve over those last 14 years
1: um i think the cost has went way down Mm -hmm. you know and what we're able to charge for it um you know and a lot of people do have the misconception that, well, don't people just use cell phones now? You know, do they really use a home phone for residential? I mean, businesses are a little different, Mm -hmm. but they actually do. You know, there are a lot of people that, um, especially with the cost being low, you know, like with our service, it could be under $7 a month for an unlimited calling, all the features, all that. A lot of people just like that convenience, you know, to have the phone at home. And so the cost has went down. Um, and the availability of like broadband internet, you know, that's went up. So, uh, it's been fairly stable. Um, what we're looking to do with it now, uh, for a few years, it was kind of on autopilot, uh, you know, for a couple years ago, cause it was, you know, just kind of slow and steady growth and telecom, you know, is something that there, there are a lot of, uh, regulations and things. And when you, change things and you have to be super careful not to break things and and it's this whole
0: uh do you have different whole, rules across the across the different states as well because i know that in lots of industries like the 50 states seem to all operate in completely different rules legal yeah to, you know for finance and various other things so
1: yeah for, well for us like one of the big things that even now is still something that comes up from time to time is uh certain states say that voice over ip service is a telephone service so it's regulated based on the laws for telecommunications and then some states say no it's a data service that uses the internet so it's those it's not regulated as telecom and in a way that seems good but then that also means that there are certain things like like 911 access for emergencies, Mm -hmm. we have to provide that service, you know, to be able to connect uh, when people dial 911 to pass their address through. Mm -hmm. But in the areas that we are not a telecom, we have to pay private companies to connect us to that because we don't get the benefit of being able to use the public infrastructure for that. You know, so, but at the same time, if they were certain states, if they were to reclassify it, then we would have to pay and collect from our customers a lot more taxes. Right. So there's this balancing act and we're really looking at it now as like, you know, I think the costs are going to continue to go down. Um, but there's so much new stuff that, that can be done. Um, you know, for the residential, it's more about like, you know, we have like uh, a lot of people that use our app now in addition to their home phones, so they can use both make international calls away. Uh, text messaging is huge Uh, so all of our numbers are text enabled so even though they're not cell phones or someone may not be using the app Mm -hmm. if they can go right in their control panel on our website and manage text send receive messages because it's interesting that a lot of uh, people uh, just assume that a phone number can get text. And SMS, you know, and it's like so the first week that we activated SMS for our all of our numbers, we hadn't even announced it. You know, this was a couple years ago. And so the customers didn't know they had it, obviously, you know, they never expected it. But the first week that we just kind of on the back end opened it up, it's like, oh, there's millions of messages this week coming in. And you know, we started looking they probably, at
0: it. You've probably been sending them for, for years before. Yeah, that.
1: and you know, there I would say probably a good eighty percent or more of that was just like junk and spam. But then there were a lot of the messages in, messages in there that were legitimate, and people are like, "Oh, I guess people have been texting me like for a while," and I, I, I they, they just never knew. You know, so that was a big thing. Um, We're seeing, you know, so we're seeing that. And so on the business side, we're working on creating a lot more innovative things and looking at it as like, there are really two paths for phone service, you know, on the business side right now. It's like the price is basically as low as it can go. So you can try to continue playing the price war game and, you know, doing all of that. Or uh, you can find more innovative ways to deliver the service and make it more than just a cheap phone service. So I look at that as like, we are in a way, um, especially now more of a software and cloud and SaaS company Mm -hmm. uh, that is also based on telecom, but we're not strictly telecom because what makes us stand out is the software features and functionality that we've built, you know, and so we're working on a few things that uh, obviously like uh, business phone systems, cloud uh, PBX type stuff, which with the pandemic right now, that's been a huge thing because Mm -hmm. companies are able that maybe they even resisted uh, moving away from like an older system in their office. And now they're like, we need to be able to send a phone to each employee at home and have them be able to have an extension and transfer calls and everything, even though they're in different locations. Mm -hmm. And so we have that, but we're also uh, looking into and actively working on, uh, we have some betas going for some really cool uh, business messaging, texting products. So you're probably familiar with like live chat on Mm -hmm. a website, you know, and like your team can log into you know, a panel and reply to the chats and messages and all that. We're doing the same thing really for SMS uh, and texting. So instead of having to even go to your site, if a customer can just text you, you know, and it comes in, we reply, we could send pictures and videos and for say like even like, say someone is like uh, a plumber or something like that they can get those text messages on their business number and they could say, can you take a picture of that and send that to me? So I have a better idea to give you a quote, Mm -hmm. you know, and then little things like that, that, uh, because there are a lot of businesses that, you know, they try to do things with texting now, but it's either the automated bulk stuff yeah, or it's, they're trying to use a cell phone and we've, we've, talk to some companies, like there, there was a restaurant once that they're like, we have six cell phones and we just like are passing them around texting, you know, and it's like, well, wouldn't it be easier just have it all in one?
0: Just have a system, yeah. That yeah, people- so, oh. we're,
1: so we're doing that. And the other is analytics. Uh, so, and that's one of the things I'm, I really love because I love marketing uh, and, you know, all the creative stuff, you know, that can be done there. So we're working on some analytics stuff where uh, you can do things like use phone numbers for tracking purposes. Mm -hmm. So like, if you want to be able to track, like if someone comes through to your website from an ad on Google, you know, you might know that from your, your reporting that you have, Mm -hmm. but what if they do that? And then they, you know, they end up on your, they click the ad end up on your website, And then they call in and your tracking is not necessarily going to connect it to that ad. So depending on how people want to set it up, you know, we can actually like link it where they, the phone number that they see on the website is dynamic, Mm -hmm. you know, based on whatever criteria we want to set. So that can be linked to, um, if they call back three months later on that phone number even we know that phone number is attached to that certain ad or uh, say like if you're a business that uh, one of the things that a lot of companies want to do is just have like uh, local numbers in more areas because people are more likely to call like in, you know, the example of like a plumber, if they find a plumbing website, if it's a local number, they're more likely to book that, you know, than calling like some number that maybe is like a national kind of number so we have things where it can uh phone numbers generated can be based on the user's location or you know just all these cool parameters so we're at a point now where it's like our residential business uh gives us the volume and the fact that we've been doing it for so long that we have the network we've built the network we own the network and now it's fine it's a matter of finding cool things that we can build to utilize it.
0: How would you go through that, that innovation process? Where does that, where does that start for you?
1: A lot of it is just really uh, looking at what are, what are some problems, you know, that people are having, are there things that uh, you know, that, that I would like to be able to do that I can't, find a a good solution for you know Mm -hmm. how uh how can we make things more efficient you know so it's kind of just like listening to customers and trying things and usually the way that I I I approach stuff like that is like um you know we'll do like a very minimal uh MVP minimum viable product launch that's kind of like here's just the very basic functionality of this concept let's beta test it so we'll put it in an area of our control panel it's like it explains that it's beta you know it it may be a little buggy or whatever but you know if they want to use it you know they can and we'll see how people use it and if a lot of people don't use it you know or we get a lot of feedback it's like okay that's probably not something that we want to fully pursue but it's always interesting sometimes like just the little things that you know people people just love like you know like uh one of them is like the uh with do not disturb and whitelist like we have a feature do not disturb where you can schedule like you know after 9 p.m everybody goes to voicemail but then we got customer feedback that people were saying well i want to have like a vip list though that can always call (laughs) <laughs> or just yeah, little things like in, that
0: and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I can and, and it's,
1: it's, it's interesting because a lot of companies overlook stuff like that because when we look at that and I, I, I talked to, you know, like our developers and you know, they're like, that's not really a project. That's just adding just like a few lines of code. It's not really a big deal. Like why, why is that going to move the needle? But that's the kind of stuff that makes things sticky. It's the tangible you know? stuff, and
0: like the customers' value, yeah. isn't it? I think we get it's very easy. Business get a bit too hung up on the big shiny shit, and quite often it's the simple things that make life easier. That is makes the big yeah,
1: business. and it's also like it's it makes them sticky in terms of they yeah. they don't want to lose that one feature, you know, to switch to another service that maybe they can get a better deal or something. But it's like Oh, they don't have that, you know, or it's just these random little things. So, you know, we just kind of listen to the market and what, what I have also done, um, you know, VoIPO is, is, uh, you know, a big thing, but over the last couple of years, you know, I started doing more uh, angel investing, Mm -hmm. uh, consulting. Um, Angel investing for me is kind of, I just look at it as kind of like gambling. You know, it's like most yeah. of it is lost, but I've had a f- uh, few exits. Uh, there's actually one that I'm th- still waiting to, on the final numbers because it's been so long since I invested in it, but I'd invested in Postmates years ago. So they just got acquired uh, really? by Uber. Uh, so that's going to close the deal supposed to close the first quarter. So, you know, had some big wins with that. Hopefully that one is, you know, one of them, but uh with it, you know, that led into consulting and, you know, all that. And I just, I really fell in love with consulting uh, because consulting is, is really interesting. If I think the, the sometimes consulting gets a bad reputation because they're consultants that they haven't actually done what they're consulting a business on.
0: Well, most of the big consultancy brands that everyone's ever heard of, it's just, yeah, it's generally people that have come straight out of college and university somewhere and then go in with this cookie cutter approach that follow a formula. Uh, yeah, and, my, yeah. and in my experience, generally they shake a business up and then the business spends the next two years recovering from that shakeup and then they do it all over again. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: a lot of times, you know, people, people are like, it's like, well, I had some things in my business that were working and you know then i changed them or you know someone told me to change it's like but they were working though why did you change those things and you know like not well, i think it
0: became fashionable to yeah. have one of the large consulting consultancy companies come in i think it was a, a ceo ego boost to say yeah we've got one of the big guys coming in to reorg our business and in, I'm nine times out of ten. You just lose really good people that have got you to where you are now. Yeah, you may need a slight adjustment in strategy and and structure and approach, but generally, in my experience, there just been the vast wholesale changes that actually cripple the company and slow the momentum down.
1: Yeah, we just kind of look at um, you know I, I mean I I like it because I get exposure to different industries. Yeah, and you know I can also pick and choose you know who I want to work with um, actually turn away more people than we take, but it's kind of a, you know, I look at like, what are, what can I do to help them? And, you know, I work with both, uh, smaller companies. Mm -hmm. Um, generally the requirement is like, you know, they have to at least have, uh, some progress in terms of like, they have a product that's selling a little bit, you know, or something. It's not like typically it's not like a brand new going from zero to mm-hmm. one type thing. But then on the, and I, I love that because I like working with entrepreneurs and small companies. And like sometimes that's a combination of consulting and investing or consulting and, you know, connections. And so it's, you know, like retainer based, but a lot of it ends up turning into uh, equity incentives and things like that, where I'll take a stake in the company and, uh, cause it's really interesting that over time, like, you know, connections and things become really valuable. So it's like, there may be one, you know, thing that I can go into the, to a company and it's like, you know, I know this other person that has a company that's kind of similar, but not mm-hmm. a competitor. They have a huge customer base. They could promote your product and, you know, really give you a big boost. And so there's little things like that, but, uh, Yeah, it's something that I love consulting. Uh, But on the other side of that, um, I do work with some larger companies too. So I I like both ends of it Mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily like one better than the other. So like on the larger end, um, it actually tends to be more working with companies for uh, mergers and acquisitions and helping them evaluate, deals or fine deals. Mm -hmm. So like I have like uh, a couple uh, investment funds that I work with and like like one of them, you know, like basically, you know, I'm paid a retainer and to basically just be like when they're ready to close a deal on acquiring like a SaaS business or something that, you know, in that industry, it's like they've kind of done 99% of all their due diligence. They're ready to go, but they're like Hey, can you come in and just kind of give a fresh set of eyes? Look through this. What what are we missing? Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel like all the numbers are, you know, what's off about this? Is everything good? And you know, so those are those are kind of fun too. Or being able to find, you know, match company is, and funds up. Like one fund, it's like <laughs> it's pretty interesting. They're just like we want to spend $2 billion over the next few years buying companies in the five to $10 million range. And they're like, so, you know, if you help us find deals, you know, we'll just pay you, you know, like a placement fee, you know, of like five or 10% and of all the companies you can find that meet our criteria for us to buy, you know, and they, they have like their formulas and criteria and they're just like, we just want to do that, you know? And, uh, so I like that too, but you know, it's a little different than working with like the standard, uh, you know, entrepreneur. Um, and the thing that we kept seeing over and over is kind of one of the things that you touched on a little bit earlier is that with consulting people were coming in and it's like they were getting taught by a lot of the gurus and you know, things, uh, that they were getting taught, uh, kind of like a one size fits all approach. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're not running Facebook ads and building a webinar, then you're just a failure. And it's like, we're kind of looking, we look at things as like, but okay, let's look at your business. What, uh, who do you, who do you serve? You know, who are your clients? What assets and resources do you have within the business? What are your natural talents and skill sets? Like if someone is not good on, video and they're super uncomfortable about it then that's probably not the best thing to do
0: (laughs) exactly you know
1: but if they're really good at uh maybe there's someone that you know they're just a very extroverted person and they have like a personality so it's like getting them out networking in front of other people or things like that Mm -hmm. can work better you know it's not always uh a one-size-fits-all you know it's all custom. And we ended up actually building a digital agency arm within the consulting firm because we kept running into situations where people would get, get like kind of a strategy from us, but when they needed to scale, they, they were running into a lot of agencies that were just not managing things well. So we, uh, we built one internally that, you know, we run ads on, uh, Facebook, Google, YouTube, uh, the programmatic networks. So kind of like a lot of people think there's like Facebook and Google and just a handful of ad networks. There's actually thousands of ad networks out there, you know, and so we can do, like I have a lot of fun with like the machine learning and behavioral and, and, you know, like profiling and basically saying, okay, run ads to all the people that meet this criteria. Like they, uh, you know, go to this gym three times a week, they buy these brands, they have these habits, you know, and this spending level, you know, all these different things. And it's anonymized data, but we, we put all that stuff together. And the big difference though, is we, we do have some customers that are, you know, we'll have some clients with like a budget of a few thousand a month for their advertising. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, the, the big criteria there is like, they have to have a proven sales process. Like, you know, they have to have something, we can optimize it, we can scale it. You know, I have a team that, uh, we don't outsource it or anything, you know, they're in-house and, uh, you know, they've, you know, are able to scale things and usually cut people spending a lot, you know, and so we manage hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in ad spend you know, on these networks and generally get people really good results. Um, But we don't necessarily look at it as everyone needs to run ads, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are a lot of people that just that do come to us and say, I I, want to scale, I want to grow. Can I, you know, can I just run ads? And it's like, let's look at the big picture though, you know, because we could take your money and, get paid and run the ads and you aren't going to get the results that you want because we're telling you that if you look at the bottleneck, like if you break down, like, you know, I, I have this much traffic and you know, that I'm getting from the ads which are turning into leads or whatever. And then when they get on a sales call, what's the closure rate? Yeah. And they're, they're like, well, the closure rate 7%. And we're like, so here's the thing. Like if we ramp up marketing, we can get you more leads, maybe even a little bit better quality leads. But if you're still just going to be closing 7% of those, that's a very big waste of money and it might actually put you in a worse position, you know? So
0: thing, when you, if you've got a bad conversion rate, all of those people that have found you for the first time, they haven't closed because they probably had a shit experience during that sales process. When they see the next ad, they're going to think, well, I'm not going back to there. They didn't have a clue what they were doing.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's like, th- then there are some others that it's just kind of like, you know, like depending on their following, like say like they're like, they have a huge uh, it's funny that there's so many, everybody wants to be an influencer. Yeah. But what i've what I've found is that a lot of people that are actually like truly influencers don't realize that they are. Yeah. they're just very passionate about something and they have a the following that really connects with them. And so sometimes it's like they're like, and you know i I need to figure out how to make money though. so I have like a huge following and it's you know, how do I monetize? And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the simplest things with a lot of people were like, well, what have you tried? Like, have you tried making it, you know, offering something to your audience? Like, no, I, I mean, I don't have a way to do that. And it's like, yeah, you just, you go live every day. Like, why don't you just mention in one of your lives that, you know, you uh, <laughs> like a product or, you know, you're coming out with a course or whatever you know just whatever the offer is and s- just talk about it and they're like i can do that and it's like it's it's your your yeah youtube channel or your platform or you know your followers like you can do you already have trust and rapport with them you know try whereas it. on the other but,
0: extreme i think you see a lot of people trying to monetize too quickly like straight out the gate going to monetize monetize mm-hmm. what the three people listening or watching or
1: yeah. Or, or people that don't have like, uh, a strong, uh, they haven't built up rapport with them really. You know, yeah. they've just added a bunch of gotten a bunch of people to follow them that maybe don't really actually engage with them.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, so, the, that's the other thing. I think part of the, the challenge is understanding engaged fans followers whatever you want to call them versus just having loads of likes because you get loads of people to like stuff and you see that all the time but how many people actually then engage with whatever it is further down the line and i've I've spoken to quite a lot of people who said you know you, you can end up with a hundred thousand followers and yep. 10 people liking your post like you haven't actually achieved anything it's uh you, whatever you did, got the, got that follow in the first place, but they're not, they're not buying into
1: whatever yeah. they really do. It. And so, you know, we have this poster in our office. Uh, we have a lot of these like random quote type posters. And one of them is, uh, likes don't pay the bills. <laughs>
0: yeah, true, <laughs> and,
1: you know, and, uh, it, and sometimes, you know, it's hard for people to accept that, that, you know, that they, there, there's, there are different, different ways to, you know, to go about it, but that's the kind of stuff that we help them figure out. You know, do you have something that you can monetize? Should you change something or, or people just jump on things? Like I haven't been able to figure out how to monetize on, you know, my Instagram following, my Facebook following, my YouTube following. I'm going to build a TikTok following now. (laughs) It's like,
0: that's because people like Gary V and everyone else is shouting about TikTok. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> like, okay, that, you know, building TikTok, like there's a lot of opportunity there, but is that the best thing for you to do right now? Or should we figure out how to monetize? So any platform that you're on, you're able to monetize somehow. And so we're very, very big on just like the custom, customized approach and people get, uh, people either really get it and they understand it and they're like that makes a lot of sense so i trust you because i just tried to get you to do something that you know you as an agency maybe would have uh been able to do but it might not have gotten me results but it didn't affect what you got paid yeah and uh you told me no or you know you shifted it to because you're looking we're looking at like it doesn't matter, you know, the likes and shares and uh, how pretty your ads are, or, you know, how good the videos are. It's like, are you making money from those ads? What is is the return? And that's what we're going to optimize for, unless it's someone, because we have a few clients that are just like, I just want to be seen everywhere. It's like, you know, they're more celebrity type clients. So they're kind of just like, I I don't really, yeah, they're just like, I have a budget that I want to put in every month in branding, you know, just do it. But we, you know, when we can like, even, uh, you know, connecting people with like relevant, like podcasts or JV partners or things like that, a lot of agencies won't do that because that doesn't show up in their report Mm -hmm. or their metrics. The overall business revenue might be up, but it's like, how do you attribute that to, marketing agency so within the consulting arm uh you know i generally work with getting people uh situated and you know basically helping guide them through all the business challenges and you know here's what to expect you're going to go through these different phases and all of that and then make sure that they have everything in place so that if they do want to scale you know i can uh you know Mm -hmm. basically help them create a plan, hand it off to, to my team and, uh, you know, they're able to execute it. So it's uh, it's it's interesting and that's where with VoIPo, we're going to be tying in a lot of the analytics and, you know, as it relates to marketing analytics and messaging, you know, tracking offline ads with phone numbers uh, because believe it or not, offline still works.
0: Yeah, it does. It's and
1: sometimes depending on your, who your target is, sometimes sending, postcards or things in the mail work you know
0: yeah so yeah, there's still people responding to that that, that stuff yeah so online.
1: i i guess uh where you know you could say like overall like you know business is really just business personal development uh things like that you know that's really what I'm interested in it and I'm passionate about. It. And it's like, I don't do a lot else really besides work uh, and sleep. <laughs> and, you know, but, and a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so crazy. And like, why do you have multiple companies? Because, you know, like you've made so much money before. Like, you know, could you not retire now? And it's like, but I'd be
0: bored. Would, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. What This would you is
1: do? fun. <laughs> and, helping people is like really fulfilling like you know if we can have someone that we can help mm. completely change their business i mean that's more than a monetary thing it's like it's you know I because i think that entre- being an entrepreneur is hard you know having a business yeah. is, is hard you know they're no matter how successful anyone is they're always the ups and downs you know and it's there's a lot of, that's another area that I'm really uh, interested in a lot more lately. is just mental health and the um, entrepreneurial space because, you know, it's just now really, I think in the last year or two, it seems like it's, people are opening up more and it's becoming less of, uh, you know, kind of a a stigma of where people are like, Hey, you know, I'm really struggling with depression or you know anxiety or having issues like that. And people before, you know, would be concerned about how that's going to affect their reputation or if their company, if they're going to be able to get another job, you know, and things like that. And now it's kind of, I'm seeing a lot of the funds and uh, investors that I work with, uh, you know, as a consultant actually putting resources together now for that, whether it's like, they're like, you know, Hey, you know, our founders, if they're having challenges and like, we can make, you know, like different resources, whether that's like, in some cases it could be anything from like a life coach or, you know, a a therapist or, you know, some uh, services to help them. Like, uh, you know, a lot of them are using some of the meditation mindfulness stuff and they're like, we're not going to force them to use it, but it's kind of like this thing where it's like, we're like, Hey, we have a lot of resources. So if you're having a problem, let us know because we would rather you be your best. Yeah. Because that's ultimately going to be better for everybody. Because if you have a meltdown and the company implodes, you know, it's not everyone's
0: lost, haven't they? Yeah. So that's the thing. What's, because um, we, we, we've gone a little over time, but I've got a couple of questions I wanted to sure. um, ask. I, I think where, when you're scaling a business in the early stages, I think there's a few things that always come up when I speak to people. One is letting go um, and trusting the team. And the other one is really balancing kind of innovation with growth as well, because ultimately both cost money. And there becomes Mm -hmm. a a pull on the the dollars or the pounds available to say, well, we need people, but if we spend too much in that area, where, how do we, how do we spend on keeping the product ahead of the game? So we don't, you know, you end up with more, too many people in a product that gets left behind. So be interested to get your take on, on those two points, really.
1: Yeah. So, so I think, you know, for, for the second one, you know, in terms of balancing it, um, You know, it depends on the situation, you know, and what resources you have. But for most companies, I'm going to say that uh, you really want to prioritize the product and uh, focusing on maintaining, you know, really high service levels, you know, getting the product uh, to a point where you... Maybe you're not as actively like updating it or adding things or constantly changing it, but you don't want to neglect it. You know, you want to get it to a point where it is rock solid. It's good. And that's the point where, you know, you start exploring. Um, and then when you do start exploring, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier with like beta tests and stuff, just do very small minimum viable type, uh, offers you know, one of the, uh, powerful, uh, things that, uh, friend of mine, uh, Joe or he, he's a marketing guy. Uh, he specializes in webinars. One of the things that he, he kind of coined this thing called a power offer, uh, where it's just like you, maybe it's like on your business's social page or anything, or if you just have a new idea for something, mm-hmm. you can just say, uh, you know, Hey, what if, uh, if I were to offer, X, Y, Z, you know, and it would, price would be in this range. It would do this, do that. Um, What do you think? You know, is that something that you guys would be interested in and you'll get a lot of feedback, you know, and it's kind of like if the feedback's not enough or it's not good, then ask, yeah, yeah. Drop that one and ask another question and you keep reformulating that and That'll kind of lead you, you know, to where to go. But I think the key is, uh, if you have limited resources, you know, that kind of helps you rein in like the drastic uh, building of stuff that you know may or may not work. Mm-hmm. But you always want to make sure that your your main thing is uh, rock solid because that's your reputation, you know. But once you take those micro steps to validate things, you can usually build those out, uh, slowly like that. And then just start like a beta for that, you know, add features over time. And a lot of times you can do that incrementally. So like, maybe it's something it's like you're, you offer it at a lower price than you would when you fully launch it as you build it, you know, and you're, cause you kind of get it to self fund, mm-hmm. you know, or you could add, uh, you know, you could do things like, once you're fully sure that you're doing it, just say, Hey, you know, if you want to be one of like, get like the founder special for this thing, you know, we'll give you this price. Uh, You know, if you pay for a year of it, you know, we'll, we'll give you access to it now and like a full year whenever it fully launches, but you get them. A lot of people are willing to pay, you know, upfront, but uh, the worst thing would be to just think as a company, like, we have this idea that we're just going to go build and we're going to spend a lot of money, have a lot of people deal- dealing with it, uh, you know, maybe hire people and then realize that no one wants it. Happens. And there's also a big difference <laughs> in people saying yes, they yes, do want it exactly. and people actually being willing to spend even if it's a very small token amount of money. Like it's like, you know, if they are like, uh, well, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't pay $5 for that data. It's like, okay, so wanting it and yeah, wanting dummy, to buy it or different
0: things. dummy, dummy offers are quite good, aren't they? So you can, uh, make it look like you can buy it and then you click buy and it goes, Oh, sorry that we've had an experience and error, and you can count how many people actually would have purchased versus saying you would, because like you say the classic, um, consumer uh you know the, those kind of panels that you go to the insight panels and you go what would you be? sat in a room being fed free food and drink they all say yes and then <laughs> and when it comes to handing yeah. over cash they don't it, bother so i weird. would
1: actually add on to that you know like that that's a good good concept you know with you said even if it's just like a test and then it just doesn't process it you know to see how many responses you get but um Depending on this, if you if you're like, if you do something like that in the beginning, you know definitely collect like some emails and or yeah. whatever, and then, I would say that probably sooner than most people think, you could turn that into something where you are collecting some money for like a pre-launch special or something. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've had we've had stuff with just from our internal customer base on the residential side where we've sent out an email like, Hey, do you want to, you know, add a year of this new thing we're working on? It's about 90% there or whatever. And we've had like six figure responses from that, nice. you know, just from like sending an email in like a few yeah. days. So even if it's not done, if people trust your company already, so they your customers are likely they already have a relationship with you there so they're likely open to buying more from you mm. if it's uh something that meets their needs
0: and what about the uh, letting go how do you hiring the hiring a good team and where uh, yeah, where the hell do you start because it's i think it's, it's the strategy of who you hire and when is probably the most important part i think we're very quick to rush and hire loads of people and and sometimes i've seen a lot of businesses over hire very quickly and then suddenly yeah. start cutting back again because they the cash flow has gone in the wrong direction
1: yeah i mean i think that you one of the things in the beginning is like you uh you definitely want to hire slow um but also i think some people rush into like hiring like superstars for everything, you know, for different departments. And yeah. it's like they may and not o- be ready for something.
0: Because you're a startup.
1: Yeah, because someone that, you know, has like you know, a massive amount of experience and, and uh, their skill sets a lot higher, you know, what I mean they're they're gonna want to be paid more. But and, I think and that and one of the things gambling
0: on you as well, right? Because you're yeah, a startup, yeah. And one of the things quantity. is like
1: if you can find people that are maybe You know, more like entry level, but they have a good work ethic, a good personality. They want to learn, they're eager, and you train them basically to be able to do everything. You know, like I love cross training so that it's like, you know what, your main focus might be shipping phone adapters, but you are trained so that if we have like uh, a support influx because there's an outage or something, you're able to. Seamlessly just hop on the phones, take calls, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're cross-trained. And I think within that, you know, you, I I personally have always liked to try to find people that can be groomed within the company, you know, that then go on to whenever it is time to build a full team in a department or something, you know, that person, you know, can do it because... Yeah, I mean, bringing in outside people, sometimes that can be a good thing, Mm -hmm. but it's also a risk. And I think that that's one of those things that in the early stages, it can really throw things off because, like, if you're larger and you bring in someone that is like a superstar that wants to change a lot of things, you can typically absorb that, you know, and even from just like a cultural standpoint. But if you have a small team and you bring someone in that personality wise or just their way of doing things is very different, then your whole team is working with them because you're small. Yeah. And so there's a risk there. As far as letting go, um, that's always a work in progress, you know. And uh, so for me, I I think, uh, you know, it's, it's trust but verify you know, and like, I generally assume the best, you know, and I trust that people are doing their best and uh, I'll, you know, I occasionally verify it though, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm very open both on like uh, public forums and things and also with our employees that if a customer has gone through the normal, channels to get something resolved or whatever and they have a legitimate problem and it can't be fixed then tell them that they can email the owner mm-hmm. and i will respond to them and sometimes my response might actually just end up being redirecting them back to a manager that they've already talked to or something but there there's just something about that that you know they're just like if they're having like a legit a legitimate issue and they email me then i can identify that really quick and fix it and be like hey you know what that's not our policy i don't know why you're being told that i'm going to take care of that we're going to take care of you get it all resolved and make it right or if they are someone that's just being unreasonable or something you know then i can say you know i looked at the t- the ticket you know i looked at all the replies and you know, I, I don't think that we're in the wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I think that you're like, you know, like it could be something like, you know, they want uh, a discount that, you know, is not, a, it's like, they're just like demanding it. It's like, I'm going to leave bad reviews if I don't get a discount or something. And it's just like, Based I'm like, more. you know, I'm like, <laughs> I would love to help you if you have a problem. Yeah. Like I'm very open to it and we are not perfect. Um, so I'd say it's trust, but verify. And then letting go is one of those things that, you know, it, it is a constant battle, but it's like, at at some point you have to kind of realize that you can't take things personally. Um, that has always been a show. Even if I see like negative reviews Mm -hmm. because we have some, you know, and it's like, we had, we had a, very crazy fluke situation last the end of last year where we had a big outage. And so we have a ton of negative reviews from the end of last year. Um, cause we had an outage, but you know, I, I know, um, that ultimately our, you know, most of our customers are very happy. And so whenever I see like a negative review and they're, they some people even get very personal with attacking, like, you know, just, personal attacks. And it's kind of like, you just have to just kind of go with it. And, you know, I always just say that the same way with like the business itself, there is going to have highs and lows, you know, like you just kind of have to keep your emotions kind of balanced and neutral. Doesn't mean that you don't celebrate wins or you don't, uh, you know, like uh, have times where you, you feel uh, negatively about something, but you just have to remember that the best thing that you can do is to keep things moving forward, you know, and keep running your business and nothing's ever going to be perfect. But the alternative is if you're trying to control everything and do everything yourself, then you're going to end
0: yeah, up the is giving running, a
1: bad yeah. experience eventually, <laughs> because you, you're, you're yeah. going to just, run out of capacity or burn out or yeah. your team never has the ability to to do it. And I've I've, you know, always found, you know, with people, it's uh, you know, if you've set the expectations right, but, you know, give people the freedom to uh be open, you know, and come to you. So it's like not only customers can can do that, but it's the same with employees. Like, you know, it's like uh you know, there's an open door policy with me for that. And so I think that that helps too, because sometimes employees are afraid to complain about something, but okay. definitely, to an extent it's like, you know, to an extent it can actually be looked at as a good thing because it's like, you know what, they, they're not just saying like, well, oh, well this is just a stupid job. So, you know, whatever, you know, they're actually bringing it up. They, they and so it's shit. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, you know, they actually care. And so it's like, I try to, you know, accommodate that. And, mm. and we're, we we have a unique setup in that we, um, you know, we have an office here and, you know, I have a couple people from each of my businesses here, but most of our employees were from home. So that was really good for us already with the pandemic but like customer support, you know, and those departments Mm -hmm. are at home. Uh, So we have people all over the country, you know, like mostly in lower cost of living States, Mm -hmm. you know, Texas and Florida and Nevada. Um, We have some in the Philippines. Um, And a difference there compared to a lot of companies that may have employees in other countries too, is that our uh, employees that are in the Philippines work directly for us we've hired them and interviewed them the same process really that we use for the americans so they're fully part of our team Mm -hmm. it's not just like a random call center
0: outsourced to yeah
1: you know and so it it really for employees you know now it's it's going to be a trend you know there's obviously some companies are with the pandemic they're reevaluating like when it is fine to reopen offices do we really need to now yeah Exactly. And we've already been doing that for 10 years. So <laughs> that's a big perk for employees. And we, so we have very low turnover, you know, with employees and, uh, you know, a lot of our employees, some of them have been with us for more than 10 years. Um, and it's, we have customers that have been with us for 12 years. <laughs> so I love the fact that, you know, there are customers that have been with us that long and just think about how much has changed, Yeah, you know, over that time. And, you know, they're so happy, you know, I actually had one during that massive outage we had the end of last year that uh, he's an older guy. Uh, I, di- I didn't know him, but he, you know, he sent an email to me and he said, Hey, you know, I, I know that a lot of people are, are sending negative stuff to you about this outage, but I just want to tell you, I've been a customer for 12 years. I know that you're going to fix it. You know, I don't really know when, but you're going to get it fixed. And uh, I just want to say thank you. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then he went on, he said, he's like, you know, I'm like 77 years old and my phone rings all day long with telemarketers and stuff. And he said, so I've had a nice break during this outage. <laughs> so thank you. And no. it's just, it's like those little things that, you know, pretty. It if just the world kinda, made it's up like,
0: more people like him it'd be a, an easy yeah it's just sure it
1: lightens it. things up so much and just a little hint of optimism and that you know can make a big difference
0: nice well we have definitely gone well over uh, but it's been really <laughs> interesting i'm going to run you through the uh the quick fire questions now and then we'll let everyone okay. know where they can uh, find out more about you um so the first one is do you have a morning routine of any sort and if you do what does it look like? You're clearly up pretty early.
1: Yeah. So, so basically, I mean, I don't have a morning routine that's like really complex, but it's basically, uh, you know, I go to bed early to start with um, and I get up generally pretty early uh, naturally. Um, Cause I,
0: what kind of time do you get up?
1: Uh, like six o'clock or so mm-hmm. usually, you know, but I'm, I'm flexible enough with it that I'm not rigid and, Most of the time I don't use an alarm, but I still naturally just wake up then. And it's the same thing with going to bed. Like I just generally, I I have kind of like a pretty consistent time, but I don't, uh, if I'm tired earlier, you know, I go to bed earlier or whatever, but you know, I try to just get up early. Um, And for me, you know, that's, I like just the calm and peacefulness before start getting into the day and sucked into you know, all these different, different things. Um, and so usually I like to, whenever I get up, I like to just kind of, uh, definitely take a little bit of time in the morning to just, uh, just kind of think and reflect and, um, and I I do a quick, uh, skim through my email Mm -hmm. and, uh, just really all I'm looking for are any like urgent things so that I can just basically, usually it's like an index card. I found those work really well because I can only fit so much to make sure if there's anything that needs addressed that's very important, I'll make sure it gets on my card for the things that I need to get done that day. Um, Cause I probably already have some stuff on it, but yeah, um, you know, like, do I have any appointments today? Do I have, uh, you know, people I need to reply to? So I know some people are like, you know, don't check email early and stuff, but I just do a skim through just because in my mind that calms me down because I'm like, okay, I know all the major stuff for the day, you know, and then I, I usually just, uh, you know, kind of just take a little bit of time to, you know, just reflect, plan out my day, you know, think about how things are going and, uh, then either start working or, Go to the office. Uh, you know, I split my time between home and office, so I kind of just ease into that, and I just really try to get the the things on my card. You know, the most important things for that day. I try to focus on getting those done. You know, and uh, it's it's really interesting. I don't I don't know why, but I know like years ago, whenever I would get up later, you know, like say like 10 o'clock or whatever, it seemed like the day was over by the time I got those few things done. But if I get up early and just kind of peacefully work through them, then it'll be like 10 o'clock and it's like, I'm done with all of that. So now I've got the rest of the day to, you know, dive into whatever else I need to. So you
0: feel like you get more day if you get up earlier.
1: Yeah. There's just something about it, you know, and uh, um, yeah, you know, but, but I, so I don't, I don't have a major, you know, it's not anything complex. It's just uh, getting up early and just basically taking the things that would be worrying me. Like, is there like something that is urgent in my email waiting or something and just looking at them, you know, to plan it out.
0: Nice. Uh three books you'd recommend and why?
1: Um okay, so I would say there's obviously a lot, but I would say one that uh you know, I like is uh, a friend uh wrote Nathan Lotka uh How to be a capitalist without any capital. Um oh, and it's uh yeah, it's capitalistbook.com I think. Uh and it is like one way that I think the Wall Street Journal or some big uh publication described it as like the younger Tim Ferris. Nice. And he he does a lot of like that startup investing and
0: <laughs> you know, dish.
1: stuff like that. So it's he's got a lot of interesting takes on how to leverage and you know, he's he's young, but he's he's got a lot of passive income and how to build that and he just has a lot of unique ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and really motivated good guy. So, uh, how to be a capitalist without any capital, Nathan Lodka. Um, another one, uh, is, um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking, I've got so many, I, I would say, uh, definitely a classic, you know, is, uh, I'm big on a lot of mindset stuff, you know, so, uh, secrets of the millionaire mind Harvecker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's kind of a classic, but it's, you know, it's a really, really good with like mindset and money and you know, all that. And he's actually a client, so that's kind of cool. Nice. Uh, you know, we get to sell the squares now. And then, uh, I would say another one that, that I really like and I refer back to a lot is, uh, the, uh, what is it? 177 Habits of men- Mentally Tough. i have to find the exact title, but um, yeah, 177 Mental Toughness Secrets. And uh, that is by Steve Sebold. And the reason I like it is that, you know, there's 177, just very short, uh thing so it's one of those books that you can kind of just like flip anywhere in the book mm-hmm. and there's like something tangible to a lesson reminder something to learn from and so i, I would say that one and in, in general any any like personal development stoicism uh business in general yeah you
0: know. nice uh three people to follow or listen to
1: Um, so I would say Nathan again, for sure. He has a really good podcast, Nathan Lodka, uh, LATKA, his podcast magazine, all that interviews SaaS founders and really grills them on their numbers. He actually sounds super aggressive and hostile on his podcast, but he's actually a really nice guy. It's just, he's all about numbers. So Nathan Lodka would be one. Um, I would say also, uh, Jay Abraham, yep, is another, um, and you know I, I guess I, I don't know I might be a little biased again because Jay's a Jay is a client we do his digital marketing, but the thing I like about Jay is that he has a lot of books out, uh, you know that maybe are some of them are a little bit older, mm-hmm. but he teaches principles that are kind of timeless, and I find that a lot of new guru type stuff is very It's a tactic. And then once everybody starts doing it, it stops working. Whereas Jay's all about fundamental stuff. And he's also very big on leveraging the resources around you and figuring out, I think, especially now in the, uh, with the economy being impacted with the, uh, pandemic, you know, that's a big thing, you know, it's figuring out that there are other ways to leverage things to grow without Mm -hmm. money. You know um and uh i would say third one third one is that's a little tougher but i'm gonna go with uh I'm thinking of a few but i'm just i'm just gonna pick one and uh i would say that that's uh, actually probably Jesse Ecker, uh, Harvecker's son, mm-hmm. um, because he he's he's young, he's he's kind of taken over that business, but he brings a really unique, fresh perspective to things, and he's launching a lot of new stuff. He's uh, so Jesse J E S S E E K E R. Um, I would recommend following him. He's always got tons of videos, uh, lots of cool stuff coming out and he's just kind of one of those people that when you, he's very personable, you know, and very good on camera. So he's very easy to listen to and, uh, you know, get, uh, tactical stuff from
0: nice, uh, three habits or disciplines you've adopted and, uh, why.
1: Okay. Um, okay, so I think one of the first ones is uh, just setting boundaries, having good boundaries, and knowing that that's okay, uh, you know, because a lot of times, like, you know, we we don't uh, protect ourselves, and not from someone that maybe intentionally wants to do anything negative, but if, like, they're constantly – asking us for more and more and more Mm -hmm. like you know we've just got to have our boundaries and that could be something as simple as it's you know the tim ferris concept of cultivating selective ignorance just you know so it's like maybe someone's like i need computer help it's like i could probably figure it out but i really don't want to so i don't know anything about that sorry (laughs) (laughs) you know so i would say boundaries uh (laughs) Number two is just uh, really just not taking things personally and realizing that in business, you know, there are always going to be the ups and downs, uh, you know, and that whenever there is a down, it is not a necessarily just a personal thing. You know, there are a lot of factors, you know, that uh, go into that. So I would say, um, yeah, that's that's a big one. And, uh, I would say for the last one is just, and this is always a work in progress, you know, and for me, like, I'm definitely not perfect with it, but keeping like, uh, micro commitments that you make to yourself or to others, especially to yourself though, because I I found that, you know, it's kind of like something that it, it builds, you know, I've read that it's like, uh building habits you know can be a lot like building muscle it's like the more you stick to things and you you know maintain your integrity and do what you say you're going to do you know the easier it is and it's sometimes it's tempting to deviate from that if it's like something that's random like like i you know told myself like i'm you know going to work out or something and then i don't you know it's like is it, no one is even going to know Mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, it's not, I'm not going to necessarily die from that tomorrow. It's just a very minor thing. But the fact that I had planned to do it, I told myself to do it and then I just eh, blow it off mm-hmm. that that can be bad. And I found that the more that I wor- work on keeping micro commitments uh, as small as they might be um, the better I feel because a lot of times, like we get, we just get so caught up in the big stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, we we forget about those small things.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, one thing I've had to do on those kind of things, or one thing I've definitely learned from my own brain, is if I don't have a clear picture or vision that that micro thing is part of, it gets binned because it's the short term. You take short-term comfort over the right. longer term, right? And so, I've definitely found if I don't have a clear picture of what I'm trying to do uh, in that particular area, then uh, when it when it when it don't feel like it, it's easy to push off, right?
1: Yeah, um, it's really easy, but you know, it's something that if it's like planned out and it's part of uh, you getting to where you want to be, then uh, you know, just. Get it if done.
0: motivation is if strong enough, you do anything. That's for sure. Um, three tool systems, apps, services, whatever, uh, that you can't live without.
1: I can't live without. Um, so I use Slack a lot. Um, you know, we use that for multiple companies, you know, and being with a remote team, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, a big thing. Um, Uh, I rely a lot on uh, the basic uh, Apple tools, you know, the calendar and notes that are just in the, I'm in the Apple ecosystem with the iPhone, the desktop, all that. So just, I just use those basic ones. I store a lot of stuff in the notes. And uh, I would say the last one would be, um, it's kind of weird, but I would say it's like, uh, Amazon prime or the delivery services, because yeah. even before the pandemic, like, you know, I'd get groceries delivered and you know, just the conveniences of all of that. Like if Amazon were to go away tomorrow and I couldn't order something and have it show up tomorrow, <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do. So I
0: don't mean like go back to the dark ages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final question. Uh, if you could spend an hour with anybody dead or alive, Who would it be?
1: Yeah. So this, this one is a really interesting one and it's kind of tough for me, Um, you know, because there are obviously a lot of, a lot of ways to go about it. And so I kind of struggle with this one a little bit, but I I think that uh, I, what I finally ended up with is uh, talking to say like a, um, grandfather or someone in my family from several, several generations ago to, uh, you know, get to know them better, you know, the family, uh, what the family history was, all of that. Um, because, you know, I, I, I know like one or two generations, but beyond that I don't. And so I guess it's just finding out more about, you know, the history and it's like, where, where did we come from? What do we stand for? You know, all those things.
0: Oh, that's a good answer. It's interesting. That is all my questions for you. I stopped grilling you now. Okay. Yeah. But before we uh, head off, uh, where can people find you? Where can they uh, hear more about you?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, they can find me at, uh, timothydeck.com, uh, or on any social platforms, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, any of the common ones, uh, just search for Timothy Dick, or, uh, they can find, uh, my, uh, companies at profitlayer.com and VoIPo, Um, if they want to email me, uh, Tim at either of those. So Tim at profitlayer.com or Tim at VoIPo.com. Uh, so feel free to reach out and, uh, you know, always happy to meet new, uh, new interesting people that, you know, have uh, similar, similar interests.
0: Nice. Lovely. it's been good chatting and, uh, we'll do it again at some point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been a great, uh, great conversation and, uh, you know, uh, I've really enjoyed it. Good.
0: Excellent. Cheers mate. Lovely. Yep. I'll catch you soon.
1: Okay. Sounds good.